0: You know, I think one of the coolest things about heaven is going to be that we are so taken with the presence of our God that we no longer worry about what others think. You probably don't struggle with that. But I'll tell you, sometimes I am just moved on these mornings and think, I. I got to dance, or I got to jump around, or I got to do something. These people think I'm nuts, and they'll fire me. And then what am I going to do? I'm not going to worry about that in heaven. I don't care if you're standing right next to me. So, some of you know and have read John Ortberg's works. You know he has just an incredible wit, great sense of humor. He uh, he refers in one of his. Conferences to a fictitious manual for, for Peace Corps volunteers. Perhaps you've, you've heard this. He says, those who are headed to South America need the advice given for that chance encounter that they might have with an anaconda, which of course you know is a large boa constrictor. So this is the list of instructions under the heading, what to do if attacked by an anaconda. In order, number one, if you're attacked by an anaconda, do not Run. The snake is faster than you are. Number two, lie flat on the ground. Number three, put your arms tight at your sides and your legs tight against one another. Number four, the snake will begin to climb over your body. Number five, do not panic. <laughs> number six, the snake will begin to swallow you from the feet end. Number seven, step number six will take a long time. Number eight, after a while, slowly and with as little, as little movement as possible, reach down to your pocket, take your knife, and very gently slide it into the snake's mouth. Then suddenly, sever the snake's head. <laughs> Number nine, be sure your knife is sharp. <laughs> Number ten, <laughs> be sure you have your knife. <laughs> oh my gosh. Despite... The humor. His point is good. We never know what is waiting around life's corner. uh, What we will have to face. Ortberg goes on to say, but when you are called, and you will be called, you need to know what to do. If you wait until a crisis hits, because it will hit, you have waited too long. You need to be prepared first. And I couldn't help but think of, of our... Our lessons through 1 Peter. I think the old apostle would resonate with everything that Ortberg says, or just about everything. He would agree that crisis will definitely hit. It's not if, it's when. And he would certainly agree that God's people need to be prepared. I think the only thing that, that Peter would probably disagree with is the idea of the crisis being unknown because we have learned that for Peter, living in that first century under the Roman Empire, for him and for all who were followers of Jesus, the crisis was was easily identified. It was suffering. It was persecution. It was identifying as Jesus' follower and living with the consequences that came as a result of that. And You know, for Peter, the ultimate persecution came sometime between 65 and 67 when he was executed. He was crucified. You probably know this in Rome. And that date, interestingly enough, is is right around the time that we, we date these letters. And tradition has it that he requested to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy of being crucified in the same fashion. As his Lord Jesus. Church tradition has held for centuries that Peter was put into a a horrible dungeon of a prison called Mamertine. And for nine months, he lived in considerable darkness and he endured great torture. But we know, don't we, from our study through 1 Peter, that his soul was secure. It was well with Peter's soul. He knew that. And in the midst of it all, he led jailers and other prisoners to faith in the Lord Jesus. So this morning, it should come as no surprise to us that Peter returns again to the subject of suffering. He's been there a lot in this book. Last Sunday, we ended with those words, Chapter 3 describing Jesus as the one who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Jesus is Lord, and he is Lord over all, he rules. And there is nothing that will change that. Yeah. And we were reminded that as followers of Jesus Christ, we're living in a spiritual battle. And so we should never be surprised when we face persecution and unjust treatment. We are, but, but we shouldn't be. Because Peter believes that, that all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will face suffering and persecution. And we must remember that people are never the enemy. They can, they can and, and they will be used against us as, as pawns, as tools in, in the hands of the enemy, used by the power of darkness. And they may hate us and they may mistreat us. And and although we don't know that we've done anything to deserve that, we must never think that people are the enemy. They are not. No matter how far it seems to us that a person has slipped down the slope of human depravity they will always be a person who is created in the image of God. They will be someone for whom the Lord Jesus died and frankly I think this is one of the most challenging truths to us as as followers of Jesus. I don't know what you think about this but but I am inclined to look at certain people groups who in my estimation just impose all kinds of evil and persecution and suffering on others and I identify them as enemies. But in fact, they are broken and lost souls. Much as you and I were before Christ in His grace redeemed us and sat us at God's eternal family banquet table and so we are called to love and bless those who hate us according to Jesus and I'm sure that there is nothing that requires more a sense of of the presence and and power of God's spirit in our lives than this and so With that in mind, we turn our attention back to the text this morning. We're beginning chapter 4. Chapter 4 begins with that word that we have seen a couple of different times through Peter, therefore. And we know that when we see that word therefore, it alerts us to something that has gone on in the past, calling us to the present action that is linked with therefore. And so you're going to hear that twice. He begins with therefore, and then about halfway through this first half of the chapter that we're going to look at this morning, uh, you will find, therefore, again, you'll hear it as we read, and it seems to me that the, the text is kind of divided up into to two sections. I don't know if that was Peter's intent, but that's how it, it feels as, as we read through it. Each section deals with the responsibility that God's people have, those who are followers of Jesus, to... Uh, that they have in their relationships with others. There is the responsibility that we have toward those who persecute us, and then there's the responsibility that we have toward one another. As we live our lives together, Peter's words, aliens and strangers, and we have seen him use that, who are committed to a higher kingdom whose allegiance is to a different Lord than Caesar, we have a responsibility to live with one another a certain way in the midst of persecution and challenges and hard times. So, let's stand together and let's read from 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning. Together. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because those who have suffered in their bodies are done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living. And they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead. So that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert... And of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If you speak, you should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If you serve, you should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Well, let's start with the second, therefore, this morning, and, and its context. Rachel, can we put that verse and then the question, we'll come back to the first, but this is something I think that powerfully motivates Peter. We just read these words, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded, self-controlled, or sober-minded, so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude So here's what I want you to talk to your neighbor about for just a minute or two. Why is the end of all things, those are Peter's words, a motivation to be clear-minded and self-controlled for the sake of prayer and for loving one another deeply? How are those things connected? If you can think in terms of, of, of Peter's mind, what we've learned, what's the motivation? The end of all things. How is that a motivation for clear minded, self controlled prayer and for loving one another deeply? See what your neighbor thinks. Couple of minutes. Are we ready? I don't know if you guys are talking about this, but there's a lot of good conversation going on here. Okay. What'd you discuss with your neighbor? What's the motivation? The end of all things. How, how does that? How does that motivate to clear-minded, self-controlled prayer? To to deeply love one another above all things. <laughs> okay, you better get with, You don't have a lot of time. You better get with it. Yeah, yeah. And in the first century, yeah, you know, they they just. Felt very confident that, that Jesus was returning soon. What else? Okay. Okay. So rise above the feelings that we may have in the midst of difficult stuff and, and do what scripture is calling us to do. Get over stuff. <laughs> yeah. You're going to be right beside me on your face before God for at least the first 10,000 years. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. Exactly. The power, of power of God's spirit living within us. We're going to come back to that. That's the first, kind of the first group. So uh, you're getting ahead of us a little bit there, Zach, but that's all right. We're coming back. So it's um, it's very clearly a sense of, you know, the end of all things. No doubt, Peter was seeing wide-scale changes in terms of he had watched the gospel, uh, you know, and and, and the the news of God's love for people go beyond his own people group uh, to Gentiles. Um, He had spent time in Rome and was seeing God's love go to Romans specifically, um, who to Jews would have been just a, a horrific people group. In terms of their their worship practices and that sort of thing, and we'll we'll come back to that a little bit more. So he's certainly seeing the end of those sorts of things, but it's also more than likely the the language is such that it's it's eschatological and that is the end times. Um, you know he had been alive when when Jesus said, "I will return, I will be back for you." and so it's very likely that that the earliest Christians were anticipating. Uh, any day read a great story this week about uh, about a little boy, as told by his mom she says when when Ben was a young boy, he had evidently heard more than one sermon about the importance of surrendering our lives to christ and he seemed like he was well attuned to the heart of God, and he exhibited all kinds of of qualities uh, like selflessness and and kindness uh, that would take some like me, his mother, a lifetime to, uh, to acquire. And so it disturbed my husband and me when Ben would stubbornly resist our invitations for him to give his life to Christ. And though he was a very, he was young, he was a preschooler, and he was very talkative, but he would give us no explanation for resisting except to tell us that he was not ready. This went on for several months. And then one morning, as we sat around the kitchen table eating our Cheerios together, Ben announced that he was ready to give his life to Christ. Then he got up, left the table, went upstairs. My <laughs> husband and I kind of looked at each other and followed him. I guess we expected to find Ben on his knees in prayer. We didn't. Instead, we found him folding his Star Wars pajamas and putting them into his Sesame Street suitcase. We asked Ben, what are you doing? He answered, packing. Why, we asked. To go to heaven, he said. It was then that we understood why he had been hesitant to give his life to Christ, he thought it meant he would have to leave us literally and go be with Jesus in heaven. Now, there is a sense of urgency there that I think all of us could learn from that little preschool boy. You know, in his mind, he understood that surrender to Jesus was giving up everything, leaving it all behind in order to be with Jesus immediately, which I think is what Peter has in mind through all of his letter but he has an understanding that that we're going to be with Jesus. But we may have to live for a while as aliens and strangers in this life, living out our citizenship and our loyalty to him as we wait. But there is coming an end of all things. And remember these words from chapter 2, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. What Zach was driving at. They war against your soul, Peter said. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, and remember, Christians were accused of doing wrong all the time by the Romans, they were were suspected of being insurrectionists because they lived with loyalty to a different Lord, this Jesus versus Caesar. So even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us, the end of all things, the day he visits us, the day when God finally calls history into account. And we said, when we looked at those words, that that's evangelistic language. Peter wanted these believers to live out the values of the kingdom of God before those who didn't know their God and who had little or no appreciation at all for the values of God's kingdom. And even though, as followers of Jesus, they were accused of doing wrong, Peter's hope is that in the end, while there is still time, they might come to know Jesus as their Lord. You know, and here's the thing, that mandate hasn't changed it's it's easy isn't it in the midst of of our busy lives midst of everything that we've got going on juggling all the responsibilities to remember that we've been left here on earth for a greater purpose than just managing our busy lives you know we we've been left here to be those who live for god's glory to be those who call attention to God by the way that we live and manage our busy lives. If it wasn't important, I'm pretty confident that God would have just snatched us up the moment that we made confession of Jesus as Lord. But there is something yet to do. We've been called to live out the gospel of Jesus. And the gospel, of course, means good news. So when people observe our lives, do they... Do they see something different and and if they know us well enough, do they experience the presence of God through through his spirit? Peter's words, the end of all things is near, I think express a couple of significant truths. the first one and, and not an obvious one. I think it's the longing of peter's heart and, and this is what I referred to a moment ago that you know the the, the first believers must have been living with a sense of any day now. You know, Peter was looking around at how hard life was for followers of Jesus, and, and I think he was probably more than ready to be done if that's what Jesus had in mind, and then to be with his Lord once again. You know, do, do we have a longing as the people of God to be with our Lord now, I think there's there's a second truth, and again, it's that idea of the eschaton, the, the end times. Things will get worse before they get better. If we read the scriptures honestly, and, and in Peter's mind, there is an urgency here. It's that mission, again, it's that reason we've been left. There's an urgency that more and more people need to embrace Jesus as Lord so that... When they meet him, they meet him as Savior and not judge. There is, there is an urgency in the language. And we must ask ourselves as followers of Jesus is there, is there an urgency in my life for those who do not follow my Lord? And I think that I think it's this, this understanding of the end times and that it could be any day. Things are going to get worse before they get better that motivates Peter to call these believers to be clear-minded and self-controlled so that they can pray. He firmly believes that prayer makes a difference on a lot of levels. And so what do we pray about? Well, it seems to me that if we are clear-minded, we are self-controlled, we are people who are indwelled by the Spirit of God, Praying is not going to be about asking God to take away the trials and the hard stuff. That's probably a difficult truth for us to hear. But Peter doesn't see any end to the trials and the suffering and the hard stuff. So, clear minded, self controlled people don't pray that God takes away the trials and the hard stuff. But they do pray for strength to endure and to live through them in a way that brings praise to God and challenges others to consider Jesus as Lord, that that makes Jesus attractive so that they can know him as Lord and and face all of those things that are going to get worse before they get better. It seems if we're going to be clear-minded and self-controlled in our praying, uh, we're not going to spend our time praying for safety even in the midst of the hardships and the sufferings. Remember, our souls are secure. It is well with our soul. And we've said that there's this sense in Peter's writings that oh, the body's just the body. You know? The part of you that's really important, that's secure. That's going with God forever. But there are many around us every day for whom That is not true. They don't have that knowledge. So if we're praying with clear minds and a sense of self-control, then we're thinking clearly about who we are as as the children of God. We're not concerned about self. But we are truly concerned about others who need to know our Lord Jesus. And if we're praying with clear minds and self-control... I think the Spirit is going to remind us how important it is to love one another above all else, as Peter says. And to live a godly, sacrificial love toward one another because Jesus said in Peter's hearing 30-some years before that it would be the love that his followers had for one another that would identify them as Disciples or followers of Jesus. You know, and we have have this saying in America, when the going gets tough, well, I think that as the going gets tougher, and I believe it's going to as followers of Jesus, when the going gets tougher, that we get going in our commitment to one another and to sharing life together who's going to understand my life as a follower of Jesus better than you as a follower of Jesus? Who's going to understand you better as a follower of Jesus? And the sacrifice that that means, who can understand that better than those who are striving to live the same way? And so Peter offers some specifics. Rather than grumble, we offer hospitality to one another. We open ourselves, our lives, our stuff. We share with one another. We use the gifts and the abilities that God has given us to encourage one another in the faith, since that's the very reason that we've been given spiritual gifts anyway. Not to keep them to ourselves, but to to freely share them and, and use them in our family in Christ. And that in our speaking and our serving one another, we do it with a keen awareness of God in us, giving us power to speak and give ourselves to one another in ways that bless and encourage. You see what Peter's driving at here? He's encouraging the followers of Jesus to band together, to turn to one another even more as times get harder, to love one another deeply because it will be noticed. Peter believes, by those who are making their lives very difficult. And they are the very ones who need to know Jesus. So, as we head towards communion, let's go back to the first therefore and make just a a few observations. Peter started the chapter with these words, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude. Because the one who has suffered in his earthly body is done with sin And as a result, that person does not live the rest of their earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. The end of chapter 3 is the context for this first therefore. And remember, chapter 3 was all about suffering for doing good. Suffering for living as a follower of Jesus uh, is is a good thing. Do not fear what others fear, Peter told us have confidence in God's care, set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts and always be ready to answer everyone who asks about the hope that you have, even though your life is hard and you're suffering. Set apart Christ as Lord. We understood that to be a very key phrase. It's really all about worship and how a person lives their lives. The one who suffers in their body is done with sin, that is, They are done living for self. They have received the presence of God and the power of His Spirit living in them, so that they are no longer in bondage, as Paul would say, to the sin nature. We are people who are done with sin. And Peter would say there is nothing like suffering and persecution to clarify, as some of you said earlier, what is really important in life. Peter's assuming that, that these believers know this. And he writes, I think, with some images of Roman worship and rituals in mind, when he speaks to some of the things that some of the folks in the congregation had spent plenty of time, he says, in the past doing what the pagans do, debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. That's quite a list quite a list of self-focused, self-absorbed sin. And those, I think, in the congregation who were hearing this letter, they would have recognized this as a description, not only of just life in Rome, but specifically of activities that were related to Roman worship. Historians tell us that pagan festivals and rituals of Roman worship were times of wild and wretched stuff. And oftentimes, a huge part of that was just selfless, selfish, self-absorbed abuse of other people. Do you see the picture that, that Peter is painting for us here? He's comparing the way the pagans worship and live their lives with the way the redeemed worship and live their lives. Self-focused, self-gratifying living versus loving one another deeply. Use and abuse of others for selfish pleasure versus service of and sacrifice for others. Well, how many times have, have we said at Applewood over the years that, that we were made for relationships? Relationships? We are relational creatures. And the very thing that we are made for and the very thing that can bring the most life and the most satisfaction, the most fulfillment, the most health in our lives, is also the very thing that can be the most destructive of who we are as human beings. And it really all depends on where we stand, first of all, in our relationship with God. When that relationship is broken, everything else is a mess. And so what we've been celebrating throughout this letter is what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. When we understand and really take into the depths of our being the fact that we are children of God and that there was nothing that we did to earn or deserve that other than God just chose to make us his children because he is a loving and gracious God. That transforms our enslavement to self and having to earn something, be respected, be well thought of, to be be notable in my life, to one of, I can give it all away, and I can give myself away for the sake of others, because I am modeling my Savior who gave himself away for me. That's the picture that that Peter is, is painting for. Suffering of Jesus on the cross reconciled the broken relationship between God and people. And as recipients of his amazing grace, we ought to be people who live as Christ lived. People who who love one another deeply. People who are selfless and serving and pouring ourselves into one another's lives and the lives of those who are outside and persecute us. Because that is what Jesus did for us. Amen? Amen.